Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. This week's episode of Screen Talk is brought to you by Amazon Studios' Wonder Wheel, the new movie starring Kate Winslet, Jim Belushi, Juno Temple, and Justin Timberlake. By acclaimed writer and director Woody Allen, Wonder Wheel tells the story of four characters whose lives intertwine amid the hustle and bustle of the Coney Island amusement park in the 1950s. The film follows a lifeguard, played by Justin Timberlake, who tells the story of a Coney Island carousel operator and his beleaguered wife, played by Kate Winslet in an awards-worthy performance. Get tickets to see Wonder Wheel in select theaters on December 1st, everywhere December 15th. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the Deputy Editor and Chief Critic, joined as always by Editor-at-Large Ann Thompson out in Los Angeles. And Ann, we are getting deeper and deeper into award season. There are so many different kinds of things to talk about, even as... Many more things are to come. So many different awards right around the corner and uh, short lists and so forth. But let's start with a couple of things that have been in the headlines recently, one of which we helped kind of fuel this week related to uh, the Golden Globes and Get Out being uh, deemed a comedy by the HFPA. And I thought this was really interesting because, one... Yeah, it is kind of a comedy in certain ways, but two, it's not a comedy in the most traditional sense, and we had Jordan Peele basically saying he didn't see it as a comedy. So what was really interesting here is you see this kind of fundamental disconnect on some level between the way that filmmakers think of their work and the way that studios kind of have to like plug it into this machine. I mean... Well, there are a couple of different things going on there. One is that Jordan Peele probably doesn't really understand how it works. He, he told you that, that he thought you could just submit it and they would decide what category it was. Well, in fact, Universal submitted it uh, as a comedy and had his, solicited his input on this. So he was dissembling with you a little bit. But I think what was really going on is that he saw this movie that he takes very seriously and he saw the Twitter chatter about it where people were saying, this isn't a comedy, this is a very serious ra- film about racism. And of course it is. But I, I think it's the same thing as The Martian. I think Fox submitted it in that case uh, as a comedy and didn't think it because they had a better shot at getting right. Daniel Kaluuya a nomination as a comedy. All the different categories where it would be hard to get in as a drama yeah, have I a mean, better shot of, of day, winning as a comedy. Yeah, exactly. It's, it, it should be the front runner in that category, assuming it's nominated and all that. If it had been in the drama section, it would have generated some interesting conversations too. I mean, at the end of the day... Well, it it gives it more gravitas if it's in the drama category. And I think that that's a good thing when you're aiming at the Oscars. So I think what the Universal people were doing, were looking at as as a a two-step, a a one step at a time leading toward the Oscars. They want to win something. They want to get, make sure they get in. They don't, they're not thinking about, oh, we need to add gravitas to it so that it'll be taken seriously by Oscar winners. Right, and I think in some ways it's like... Oscar voters. This is sort of a microcosm of what the story of Get Out all year has been, which is that it kind of has it both ways in the sense that 
know, the anticipation of this movie was that it would be a comedy. It was. It has been received on some level as a as a funny satire of our very troubled times, but it's also a social thriller that is very real to certain people in terms of how it's tapping into the kind of fear of being a person of color in this country or the, the discomfort of dealing with other people and so forth in that context. And so I think what's interesting about it is, look, it is probably going to be the front runner in that category, but I don't think it's, I mean, you can tell me if I'm wrong, I don't think it's hurting the chances of it winning in that category for the filmmaker to come out and say, well, it's not really a comedy, it's this other thing, to, which people love to read about and talk about. I mean, to engage with the question of whether or not this movie actually belongs in a box. Because what's key to its success is that it transcends all those things. It, it's very entertaining, but it's also got real ideas. No, I, I agree with all of that. The, 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 I think the most important thing that's going to happen for Get Out is that you guys, the critics, are going to come through for it at year's end. And that's going to give it the necessary credibility and gravitas that it needs because it's it's trying to overcome its genre roots it, even it, even though it's it way way outstripped the limitations of any genre it still confuses people is it a horror movie is it a comedy is it a satire is it a hitchcockian thriller we think that's an asset critics think that's an asset but uh, it needs to be it needs to be codified for people and and when people st when it when people start winning awards like the broadcast film critics or the new york film critics or or the golden globes that's when you know that'll be a good thing uh heading toward toward oscars of course the indie spirits are going to go in the direction of of get out and and i think uh there are and a lot of other films that will get the benefit of the indie that's going to be coming out next week the nomination so we're going to see right. Good times and, Gotham, and right. Rob Pattinson and people like yeah. that getting some attention. And then the Gotham's will be will happen a week after that. So within the next two weeks, we'll have a whole bunch of, of those, those kinds of things to look at. But Get Out, like you're saying, is basically the one that stands to benefit the most from that. In, in terms of the long game. Yes, exactly. And, and then the other story that was interesting this week was that uh, Errol Morris's Wormwood is going to be coming out on Netflix. It premiered at Telluride. It played at a couple of other fests, including AFI Fest recently. And he was here. And, and he uh, is a filmmaker. He's someone, you know, he won for Fog of War. He started out back in the day with Gates of Heaven and, and of course, the famous uh, Thin Blue Line, which got a man off of of death row you know he did philip glass scores he did reenactments he was very uh, ahead of his time and all of the other documentary filmmakers have eventually caught up with him but but now he 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 does this four hour you know fiction slash documentary hybrid incredibly uh, ornate and elaborate investigation into a CIA agent who falls to his death uh, or and, killed himself or killed himself and played by Peter Sarsgaard in the fiction form of the film and of course the Academy has decided in its wisdom that this is not a movie and it's not a documentary and it's not eligible for the Oscars we know what's interesting about I mean this is more of an intellectual Point, then I think it is, uh, you know, a kind of great tragedy or a disservice being done because, you know, I found one Wormwood, the version that I saw it tell you right anyway, to be fascinating as an experiment and certainly shows a filmmaker pushing beyond his most familiar instincts. He drops the Interatron. He's doing something that's not quite flashbacks because it's sort of like an imagination 
an imaginary version of what might have happened in right. the hotel this exactly. year. So it's interesting to see him flex those muscles. It's a difficult experimental approach that almost certainly would not have been an Oscar front runner, I think. So I think that that, that has to be acknowledged. And then the other point Well, mainly what, because the documentary branch of the Oscars isn't willing to go that far away from what they consider to be a legitimate documentary procedure. But don't forget that, you know, Act of Killing got an Oscar nomination. I mean, strange, unorthodox stuff can get through. I just think this one, you combine the length with the approach. It, do, it doesn't work for everybody. It's, an, it's a fascinating experience. That I, I loved it. I think uh, it's brilliant. I think it's his best thing. I mean, it's, it, and as you pointed out in some piece or other that you wrote, you know, he did abandon, you know, his recent tropes and, and tried some new things. Uh -huh. Yeah, no, I, that, that's what I think is most fascinating about it, but I also feel like it is for diehard Errol Morris people more than anything else on some level. It's really interesting to see him evolve in that sense, but uh, but I, I know for a fact that it's it's just not, it doesn't totally work for everybody, but I think what's cool about it is... You can see it on not, Netflix. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of an interesting kind of a long-form experience because it is so hard to categorize, but, you know, ironically, in spite of all this stuff, Part of what's going on here are the after effects of O.J. Made in America winning Best Documentary. Yes, last but year. but Long Strange Trip did qualify. You see, they they did it the way you're supposed to do it. They had a theatrical version shown all in one go at uh, Sundance, and they had the theatrical version. Then they showed it on on uh, you know on streaming. So they 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 they, they took their time to sp space it out. This was like the same, it's really the same movie with the interstitials taken out. That's the problem. He didn't, like, John Ridley did a short version of of Let It Fall, and then he did a, a much, much longer theatrical version. So it, it, it appears to be that you have to really play, and, and he said, I'm not even making this eligible for the Emmys, John Ridley. And, but, and part of it is that Errol Morris wants to be considered by film critics and more who know him more than TV. He wants to be back in his world. And now he's in this sort of brave new Netflix world. And I don't know that uh, he's comfortable there. I mean, he likes yeah, he the fact of, that they gave him a lot of money to make this yeah, series. Yeah, he tapped the uh, narrative resources that they have. Yeah, absolutely. And then I mean, the other thing that's interesting is the Academy is, is, is evaluating all of these definitions and trying, they have a committee and they're trying to deal with these questions of what's digital and what's documentary and what's series and what's television. And they're trying to figure that out. I just think if nothing else, it shows that there is a template for tapping into those two departments and, and to create something unique right. that could you know, get more people into it. In yep. That sense. Yep. No, I think it's a great. I think it's a great trend. Um, and then, and then, uh, what else have we got coming coming up? Well, one thing that just to completely do with uh, a, a, a change of direction here. You know, we've got Justice League opening this week, and uh, I don't want to waste too much time talking about it, the movie because it was pretty forgettable. But one thing I've noticed is that it has gotten Gal Gadot back in front of the cameras, doing press and publicity. You know, talking about... Uh, and she's the best thing in the movie, yet again. She's definitely the best thing in, the, in this totally boring movie. But I, I think it's notable. I mean, I got a, an Art of Wonder Woman book in the mail that, uh, you know, weighed a lot. I couldn't figure out what this giant package was at my front desk. And, and uh, I feel like the campaign for that movie, at least to keep it visible and in conversation, is pretty interesting in the sense that even the Justice League 
stuff is is probably helping her on in, on some level because everybody loves Wonder Woman. Even if they don't, even if they they haven't seen the movie, they're aware of Wonder Woman. I'm so. feel I'm looking at all this. You know, I'm here in LA. You're in New York, and we're both sort of witnessing the various campaigns as they as they play out. And today, I was very gratified to see that Mudbound got a great review in uh, the New York Times from A.O. Scott. The kind of review you want if you want to be taken seriously as a as a, a movie that people may have a chance to see in theaters for a week or two before it's back uh, only on on Netflix and and uh, and you know obviously Lady Bird is playing out very well uh, Three Billboards is playing out very well um, Darkest Hour so far very well here in LA um, so these things are you know Shape of Water is starting to make its impact here in LA so these things are all moving forward the way they're they're supposed to do and there's long lists of documentaries that we have to wade through and long lists foreign. of foreign films. Uh, it's all very uh, daunting, um, but uh, it, we're getting there. Wonder Woman, I'm not so sure, honestly. I'm not feeling it. Well, it's just notable that it, it, we're still being reminded of this. I mean, there is a, a definitely a strong impulse to keep remember of all the blockbusters this year not counting get out which is kind of its own thing this unexpected blockbuster only wonder woman is it seems to have that unless you count something like dunkirk but dunkirk is another one you didn't well, mention it no dunkirk is fine Dun they're doing all the right they did the right things at the festivals they're doing more things they did some more things today by they're re-releasing it they're they're not going to miss any any opportunity to make dunkirk a front run. I mean, what what I did, you know, I, I do think there's a question of of of, of whether um, Dunkirk stays at the front of the pack when we get to see Phantom Thread and The Post. Those are the first two coming up, and The Last Jedi, um, which I have to say I'm really excited about. Of all the movies coming up, that's the one I'm the most, because I love Ryan Johnson. I've always been a fan. He seems to get the Star Wars universe. Uh, they think so. They've given him three more to do when they've been firing everybody else. It really does make you wonder just how well did this thing come together or is it just, you know, they didn't have any drama, so they get along well, so they want to, you got to stick well, with Well, we have to wait. You know, we have to, so they're doing a we'll big see. premiere on December well, so, the 9th what's, So this is actually this related to a bigger, bigger context, which is in the past week, there were basically the, the three movies that you mentioned were the yes, ones. Yes, we've got screenings be, now. We finally know that, like, these are real Thank movies. Thank you. We we're going to see like them. A big part of the year, and, and it's like, we start heading into the fall, and you start to get a better idea of what's going to be super down to the wire. So it was The Post, and it was Paul Thomas Anderson's Phantom Thread, and it was The Last Jedi. The Star Wars movies are always, they go last. They don't care about the critics' deadlines and all that kind of stuff. The Post was just down to the wire, I think, because they just shot it over the summer, basically. And then Phantom Thread is because PTA likes to tweak stuff up until the last minute. So it's the so Thanksgiving we weekend, which is usually the last possible chance to reach the, the critics groups and the globes and get all that those people in you know that's the real deadline that they're they're trying to to make so they've they've got various screenings with q and a's and there's you know spielberg and merrill and tom and so forth and and the, in la and in new york and then they've got pta and he's doing some q and a's as well yeah so the, so it's going to be it's like a one two three punch or a one two and then a pause and then the third because the post is going to show we're going to start seeing that over the weekend and then uh, and then the PTA film and then Star Wars will come later 
But what's interesting is, so what what I've heard about the post that that I think is notable for award season conversations is that it's a lot better than that trailer. You look at that. Trailer yeah, I spoke to someone today uh, who saw it, and uh, they said they that I was going to really like it. That it may not be totally academy friendly, but it's better and more accessible than the last two PTAs. I mean, look, it's it, well, and I'm talking about Spielberg though. Oh, you're Spielberg, talking about the post. Yeah, the post. Because I think the, it's notable that the post, if you look at the trailer and you see what the movie's about, you kind of start to get the sense that it looks old fashioned. Seen it already, yeah, yeah. It's sort of like you've been there, you know exactly what you're in for, and I'm sure it is that. But then there's little things, you know, Bob Odenkirk being in there, and and the the kind of the the drama of the story opening up some possibilities. It's both that film and the PTA film are, are just a straight two hours. They sound, it sounds like they're very contained. Basically, both of these movies, you know, I, the post sounds like it's going to hit a lot of buttons for people. Uh, Phantom Thread sounds like a lot of PTA. So it, it may not work for everybody, but some people are really going to get into it. And so uh, that, that's exciting you know, that, that the kind of the last kind of tidbits of the year aren't going to, you know, be sort of also rans or, or, or anything to that effect. Of course, we won't see all the money in the world until who knows when. <laughs> well, they're going to try to get it done by, by opening day at any rate, uh, they're, but they're certainly not going to be screening it for, for critics in any kind of timely fashion. Oh, the other thing that was interesting is all the news that's breaking surrounding uh, Quentin Tarantino's new movie, which uh, apparently I ran into him at this uh, beguiled uh, uh, party after a, a screening with Sofia Coppola, who uh, he's, a, you know, they used to date back in the day and they're still good friends. And so he was coming through for her. And I asked him what was going on with, with the Manson movie. He said, it's not Manson, it's 1969. Because I feel like, uh, I mean, is it, of course, it, he doesn't want to. He never makes movies that are strictly about like one historical figure or something like that. I mean, it's well, what we don't know. I mean, he wants a hundred million dollars for it, and there are a couple of uh, what he was telling me was that he had gone out to do this big dog and pony show thing. Uh, basically, the different five different studios, not Disney, because they're uh, not into R-rated films. Um, did a big pitch. They put up big marketing and, and here's what we're going to do for you. They're all trying to get Tarantino. Yeah, and which it, is and awesome. I, in and a I way. feel for him. I mean, well, what's so interesting about this is that he was protected and, and sort of sequestered. He chose to stay with his, with, you know, they were chasing him all along, but he chose to stay with Harvey Weinstein and with this sort of being the star guy at, at, at this one boutique uh, independent company and, and the, the one who got the biggest budgets. And, and he was able to make art films that were on a big budget and get away with it for a really long time. And this movie, I'm really curious, you know, apparently, apparently a few of the, the studios are zeroing in on him, but apparently, you know, I'm curious to see if he gets his budget. And, and, well, you and, know what they say, you shouldn't stay in one job for too long. Right. You know, it's sort of the counterpoint to that in the sense that, you know, when, when he could have, when he broke out in the early 90s, been one of those people who went the studio route, you know, Linkletter went and did Days and Confused or whatever. Like that, he he did, by he, not by staying with Harvey, I feel like he actually was able to maintain a certain autonomy and develop his identity 
on his own timeline and on his own terms and also yeah. basically was able to say I am an artist who wants to make films for a certain uh, legacy that will be remembered by history that are not dictated by studio commercial constraints and so part of right. what I'm so saying here is that then. he's entering the real world he's well, entering a marketplace a, now theoretically he's coming to them on his own terms right? in they theory but there's no such thing. If they give you money, I mean, that's the question is, what is the deal? You know, I've got Final Cut, uh, it's this budget, it's this kind of distribution plan. But already he's talking about putting Tom Cruise in it or, 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 Dan, or, or Leonardo. Right. Or, you know, yeah, it's all, it's all going to be expensive and it's all going to be, you know, he, he doesn't well, make commercial movies in the studio context. He really no, doesn't. But, but his movies can be commercial when you in the best, I mean Django. When they are, the, they're amazing. I couldn't, right. I couldn't believe that Django Unchained did as well. Billion as it did. dollars worldwide. I, I could mean, not how do you believe I, it? I mean, but but I think what's interesting is some studios do allow for final cut. This is not, it's not unthinkable. It's just a question. We haven't read the script. People say the script has a lot of heart to it. That the it's 1969 thing. That's the question. You see. Is it, if it's not Manson, Manson's more commercial in a weird way than 1969 is. Think about it that way. On the other hand, if it's a if it's a hyper stylized kind of generational, you know, statement or something through his own kind of lens of historical fantasy with all these big names, it could just end up being the movie of the year. I mean, that's probably what you and I are in. That's not the issue. Oh no, duh. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, we want him to make the movie. But, but I mean, I'd also have no problem with the studio taking a total hit on this if they if they go for go, if they let him do his thing. No, we and don't have a finally, problem. Like know, if Paramount is the one that's the neediest and ends up stepping up for it, you know, they they Heroes. that's the thing. It's gonna be it's gonna be the it. studio that has the most need that is willing to be, to bank on the biggest budget. Yeah, exactly. And then and then also, like you were saying, kind of roll with Tarantino being this guy who's really committed to his vision in his very specific kind of way the question is is he going to demand that it tour the country in 70 millimeter or something crazy like he did <laughs> with the last one and is it going to be over three hours long because well, these uh, are the, this is exactly what i'm saying i mean these are the questions that we don't know the answer to and he he was saying it's a level playing field we're just going to figure this out you know i mean that's the thing each one of those uh, negotiations is going to have a different set of parameters that he has to go through and figure out. I'm fascinated by how this turns out, partly because it's also revealing of the studios themselves. If you look at Sony, it's it's kind of in a bad place. If you look at Paramount, not strong. They have a lot of recovery to do. And then you have, you know, Universal's relatively strong. You have Fox is relatively strong. And yet they're talking about going over to Disney or, or something, you know, that the Murdochs are willing to get rid of it. And and so everybody's got a cloud, you know, kind of a, this, I don't know how to explain it. The town is sort of in a state of flux with a with a big cloud over it. It's not a happy, we're successful feel right now. No, and, and it's, it's, I mean, sometimes great artists tend to benefit from an industry that is struggling to figure out what to do next. So this could be exactly the opportunity, not only for Tarantino, but maybe some other people to, to kind of bring something that seems really exciting that could have commercial appeal, but is also driven by a specific creative intent to get out there. I mean, it can't just be like Star Wars or Bust, right? 
you know, there's there's so many d- different kinds of filmmakers out there who could theoretically do something that would excite people. It's just a question of are the studios willing to meet their terms to make that happen? Because good stuff usually does survive. Yeah, but I, I mean, I'd like to think that's true. But I went to see, um, I went to see uh, Murder on the Orient Express at the well, AMC. I don't know if I would compare that in a commercial to... movie theater at ten o'clock at night on a weeknight, and there were hardly anybody there. And you just get this sense of this enormous theater, this enormous multiplex, this enormous shopping mall, and this sense of, of, of 25 minutes of ads and, and uh, trailers and stuff that I would never see at the Arclight. And, and I was just looking at my watch. I was like, I need, it's late. I want this movie to start. And I have yeah. to get home really late. And if I, were, if I had my druthers, I could look at this movie on a screener in my house. You know? Yeah, it's incredibly unattractive to people to go see movies in theaters unless they are, they really feel like they're events. Murder on the Orient Express is a great example of a movie that nobody really seemed that all that excited to go check out. It's perfectly pleasant and it's perfectly um, ephemeral. You know, it's it's it's, yeah, it's sort of enjoyable while you're watching it, but there's no reason for it to exist. <laughs> that's the problem with the commercial industry overall, which is. You know, most of the movies that we see go through that machine, no matter who's involved, even if it's a, you know, sometimes talented filmmaker like Kenneth Branagh, they're just sort of short. He is a talented filmmaker, and he had fun with this. But it's, it remains a forgettable thing, you know? Yeah, it just that's, is. That's the worst phase. In some ways, that's worse than making, you know, a really notable bad. I'd rather see a, a like, insanely bad misfire. Like Mother. No, no, no. I love Mother. I do. No, I great. love Mother. Mother is an I, that's, that's the thing people should be excited about. That's an interesting counterpoint, because people didn't go to that, but they love talking about it Mother or hearing about it. Mother is great. I hope people catch up with Mother on, online when it's available, because it's, a, it's, a, it's an absolute hoot. It is just a, a fabulous yeah, it's, it's, movie. I love that people call it a comedy. It's so funny. <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost like more of a comedy to call it a comedy, but it's, it's something. It's something about it. So uh, next week we will have spirit nominations to dig through, and that'll be an interesting contrast to everything we're talking about because for a small window of time we'll have a much uh, bigger crop of movies to kind of dig through, and then obviously it'll get more and more narrower from there with the uh, we've got our New York Film Critics Circle announcements, the Gotham Awards, Thanksgiving break, and then all the rest of that good stuff. So uh, enjoy your weekend, and I'll you talk too. to you soon. Bye-bye. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.